0: This is The Think Tank with Dr. Mike O'Neill talking about the major political, economic, and social issues of the week. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com.
1: This is Mike O'Neill here. Upcoming in the show, Attorney General, newly elected Attorney General Chris Mays will join us. But first, a programming note. Uh, Isaac Asimov noted there's a cult of ignorance in the U.S., It's always been the strain of anti-intellectualism has been a constant thread winding its way through our political and cultural life, nurtured by the false notion that democracy means that my ignorance is just as good as your knowledge. In the show, we have tried to uh, fight that with informed guests and information. You may not agree with all of what we do here or what pe- what has been said, but our goal is if it's made you think it's been a good thing. Um, this is the last broadcast on the air, but it is not our last show. I'm taking a month off and we will return with KTAR-branded podcasts. If you say a month off, folks, I've been doing this for 10 years. It's my first month off. I want you to know that uh, you can find our old shows and it is quite a uh, long history of shows. I'll tell you about that later at Mike O'Neill.org. But I want to tell you first how you can listen to the podcast. If you subscribe to the podcast, it gets you all of the shows listed and you can pick and choose. So there's hundreds of old shows, a lot of them I'll tell you about in a minute. Some you can scan for interesting ones. But to subscribe, there's two ways to do it. One is go to KTAR.com. There's a button there that says podcast. You go that and you see the think tank. And then you have, if you use one of several podcast players, including the one that's used on Apple, Spotify, and a couple of others, you can click on that and that'll subscribe to you. But if you're using a different uh, podcast player, all you do is go into that and go to the search button. There's usually a little mi- microscope for that. And you. Ser- I found it works best if you search first for KTAR, then you're going to have four or five shot options, and the Think Tank is one of those if you do that, uh, and also, you, if you want to look at what I think are some of the most interesting shows, you can go to mikeoneal.org, and there's a button right on the front page that says radio, and that will take you to a best-of list of some of the think tanks that I thought had the greatest shelf life and most interesting. Let me tell you about a few of those. Sidney Rittenberg interviewed him twice. Sidney was... An American who went to China prior uh, during uh, World War II stayed over afterwards and became a personal confidant of Mao Zedong and Xiaowen Lai. This man, and by the way, came back many years later after about 40 years in China and became a confidant and advisor to people like Henry Kissinger and Bill Gates. This man recently deceased, was a part of history, and he came in and shared his uh, findings and observations with us. One of the most fascinating men, perhaps the most, truly the most interesting man in the world. Marty Latz, expert and negotiator, talked about several issues relating to, is Donald Trump a great negotiator, negotiating with Korea and China? And uh, and his life uh, as a negotiator in the Clinton White House. Uh, interesting people: Governor Fife Symington was here, journalist Steve Roberts, and the inimitable Pat McMahon. Lawrence Krauss is one of our favorites. He's a public intellectual, a physicist, and uh, observer about the status of science in our world. A spiritual disciple, I would say, of Carl Sagan, if you need an example of it. An old buddy of mine, um, Dave Tierney, uh, was a participant in Freedom Summer in 1965, which was an early attempt by groups of students to confront segregation in the South, which was done at personal risk. Some of those folks famously ended up dead. What's it like in Arizona prisons? First-hand prisoner account from middle class woman who ended up in prison. Books, uh, Linda Valdez, Terry Green Sterling wrote about Life in the Arizona, separate books about the migration process and life in the Arizona desert. And uh, just one other final example, JFK assassination, we had as a guest in an early show, Robert Tannenbaum, who was deputy chief counsel to the House Select Committee on Assassinations, which happened in the 1970s, when a number of questions arose about the Kennedy and King assassinations and whether those had been whitewashed. And his observations are uh, not only fascinating, but historically interesting. So that's basically how you do it. I'd encourage you to subscribe. The way to get podcast, if you're not somebody who does that yet, I'd encourage you to do so. It's a wonderful thing. These, you, When you subscribe, they just appear in effect in your podcast player. And uh, you can listen to them anytime you feel like it, and you can pick and choose. You can look, you know, it's got a couple of lines in there with a topic, and uh, uh, you can choose only the ones that are most interesting to you, not what happens to be playing on the radio at the moment. Well, moving along, I run across pithy little pieces of writing all the time. I usually copy them and file them somewhere. Last night, I knew I had a segment to fill, so I culled through a bunch of these, and I found some of the best. Um, one of the things I'd like to talk about, you're going to hear a lot about this in the news, the debt ceiling and the analogy that you need to use for the debt ceiling. It's not about how much the government spends. The analogy is in your personal life. It's not about what your household is spending or your spouse is spending. It's about you already spent the money. Now you got the credit card bill. And the question is. Are you going to pay the bill? In other words, the cat's out of the bed. The obligation has already occurred. We know you're going to have to pay it. Why why are you going to pay it? It's very much analogous to a credit card. If you don't pay the credit card bill, they're going to soak you for 24% interest or more, and you're going to be in debt for the rest of your life because you're going to be paying mostly interest rather than other things. By the way, the vast majority of federal spending, is on Social Security, Medicare, National Defense, and interest on the debt. I'll say that again. Federal, Social Security, Medicare, National Defense, and interest on the debt. If you cut the rest of the government to zero, we still wouldn't have a balanced budget. That means, for example, no money for the FAA to keep planes from crashing. No money for building roads anywhere or freeways or anything, nothing other than those four things. So when somebody says cut spending, okay, fair enough. The right question is, tell us what you're going to spend it. it Because it's painless when you just say spending. Oh, cut spending. Yeah, you know, you could put 10 people in a room and tell them, and they all agree, yes, cut spending. And then you ask them what they'd cut and no two people name the same thing. So most of the things are in the budget because we want them there. So, uh, you know, why do we have a deficit? Well, we've been tax cutting for years. But even if you disagree with that, even if you want us to spend less, the solution is to spend the the debt ceiling is not the time to do that because with the debt ceiling, the moment you stop paying your bills, the federal government stops paying our bill. Our credit rating goes to hell, and. The interest that we pay on everything that we owe goes up because the United States federal government gets the lowest interest rate in the world because people have more faith in the United States government than anything in the world, basically. And uh, if you shake the faith in that, then uh, we're out of business. So I'll be back with a few more comments after the break, and then we'll have Attorney General Chris Mays on the show. We'll be back in a moment.
0: The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. You've heard it said, I'm sure, that the definition of
1: insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different result. Well, I've been thinking about the border crisis. Um, this is a concern that's a result of increased numbers at the border. And the re- response has been more guards, more security devices. Question. What would you say if somebody proposed taking our current border security budget and multiplying it times 26? In other words, we spend, for every dollar not we're spending now, we'll spend 26. Does that seem over the top? Is that nuts? Well, that's exactly what we've done since the Clinton administration we are spending 26 times what we spent and that is adjusting for inflation in real in in dollars it's more than that but 26 times what we were spending 26 times and has our border gotten any more secure i think most would say no we've got more people at the border than ever before why we're not addressing the real problem are people at the border Because of something at the border? No. They're at the border because of something that's happening in El Salvador, Honduras, Guatemala, and parts of southern Mexico. Dealing with that force, dealing with force at the border, is like a doctor treating a patient who's vomiting by putting duct tape over his mouth. He won't be able to vomit anymore. Might save your carpet, but you surely haven't fixed anything. Want to get serious about border issues? Then take a look at the dysfunction in the areas that people are coming from. If people people's lives are in danger due to gang threats against family members or the risk of starvation due to poverty, many will try to improve their situation, and no wall and no number of border guards will keep them from trying. Think economic development and gang eradication in those countries and you'll take away the reason these folks want to escape. Most don't want to come here. To an unfamiliar English-speaking country that largely doesn't want them? No, they feel they have no choice. Remember the Berlin Wall? They used to machine-gun people who tried to cross, but it didn't stop many from trying. And the East Germans had miserable lives without much hope of improvement, but nobody was facing starvation or death. Yet they still came. I'm tired of the border theater with politicians walking to the border pretending they're interested in solving the problem. Visuals like that show me that they're not serious or that they're succumbing to voices that demand that they engage in this kind of theater. If you're serious about the border, think about economic development and gang eradication in these Central American countries. If you're going to go anywhere, go there. After 40 years of doing the same thing over and over and it's not working, don't you think it's time to try something different? Another thought, a different topic, voter fraud. The notion that a voter would, on his own, attempt to deliberately engage in voter fraud seems illogical. Think of the penalties that are very high on the one hand, and by casting an illegal vote or two, You have no measurable chance of changing an outcome that almost always requires at least thousands of bogus votes. Arizona had, I think, about a dozen cases of voter fraud in the 2020 election. Let me read you a typical case. And we have Chris Mays coming on later. I think she can validate this. Melinda Soubert, 57. She lives in the Phoenix areas and was one of those who got caught. In the weeks before her mother's death in october twenty twenty, her eighty seven year old mother, a C SPAN enthusiast, that means she's a kind of politically interested, told everybody from family members to hospice workers that voting was her final wish. Beard took her mother's ballot home. She wept over it and cried over it, she said. She helped her fill out the ballot, which is legal. But instead of indicating that she assisted her mother in signing her own name, she forged her mother's signature. Last year, she pled guilty to presenting a false instrument. She was sentenced to 100 hours of community service and a $1,000 fine. She said, I didn't even hire an attorney because I felt so ashamed and I wanted to accept responsibility. Her husband, by the way, is as angry as she is contrite. He argued that Brnovich should be arresting the 11 Trump supporters who falsely signed electoral college certificates in December 2020, even though Biden won the state. He said, if you're going to go after her, then he should be going after the slate of people that knowingly tried to subvert a free and fair election and signed their name to it. In an interview with a radio station in January, Brnovich referred the question of fake Trump electors to the Justice Department. Continuing my potpourri of uh, topics, Mayor, now Secretary Buttigieg, I thought gave the best answer to the question of late-term abortions. He noted that uh, it is less than 1% of cases, but he he said the following, and I I thought this was just very striking, put ourselves in the shoes of a woman in that situation. It's that late in your pregnancy that almost by definition you've been expecting to carry it to term. We're talking about women who have probably given a name to their child, purchased a crib, and then families get the most devastating medical news of their lifetime something about the health or life of the mother or the viability of the pregnancy that forces them to make an impossible, unthinkable choice. And the bottom line, as is as horrible as that choice is. The woman, the family may seek spiritual guidance, may seek medical guidance, but that decision is not going to be made better, medically or morally, because the government is dictating how that decision should be made. Best answer on that uh, subject that I have ever heard. Final, final segment before we go to the attorney General. Poetry, actually, an uh, excerpt about the dangers of uncritical blind nationalism. Carl Sandburg. The doors were cedar and the panels strips of gold, and the girls were golden girls. And the panels read and the girls chanted, We are the greatest city, the greatest nation, nothing like us ever was. It's happened before. Strong men put up a city and got a nation together and paid the singers to sing and the women to warble. We are the greatest city, the greatest nation. Nothing like us ever was. And while the singers sang and the strong men listened and paid the singers well and felt good about it all, there were rats and lizards who listened, and the only listeners now are the rats and the lizard. And the wind shifts, and the dust on a door sill shifts, and even the writing of the rat footprints... Tells us nothing, nothing at all about the greatest city, the greatest nation, where strong men listened and the women warbled, nothing like us ever was. We're not the first people to believe that we are unique. We'll return with Attorney General Chris Mays in just a moment.
0: This is the Think Tank. With Dr. Michael Neal talking about the major political, economic, and social issues of the week. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 923 FM and KTAR.com.
1: As promised, our guest is Arizona Attorney General, newly elected Attorney General Chris Mays. I understand the proper title is General. Does that strike <laughs> you as odd? And have people it feels, use that yet?
2: It feels a little odd, Mike, and I'm, I'm threatening to, to go back to you got to call me Commissioner because I was my former corporation <laughs> more, commissioner. More, that feels, it still feels right. It yeah. seems
1: like you, you, you didn't come in here quite with an army, but no. there is an entourage now that there, uh, yeah. there wasn't before. In the alternative, I, I assume people. People have called you the landslide, Chris.
2: Landslide maze, something like that. <laughs> that, that, that definitely seems appropriate. Well,
1: we're, I just want you to know we're speaking to an audience in excess of 280. <laughs> um, you've been in office just under a month. Uh, I want to talk about what you've done so far. And I'm aware of several things that have been prominent. Uh, number one, I suppose, in political prominence is the death penalty. Uh, Governor Hobbs established a commission to deal with and examine this issue and uh, you implemented, uh, I think, uh, basically a moratorium on executions. I assume you spoke ahead of time.
2: Yeah, we did. Absolutely. It was the same afternoon. It so. was, yeah. yeah. The, obviously, we coordinated on this. And um, I talked about this during the campaign, Mike, as you know, um, that, you know, we have the death penalty in the state of Arizona, but, you know, since 2014, there have been several instances mm-hmm where I think you could say the death penalty and the execution process was uh, not carried out correctly, botched, you you know, um, and that's not okay. And in order for justice to be done, um, and if we're going to carry out the death penalty in the name of seven million Arizonans, then it n- must be competently carried out at, at the very least. And so I thought it was appropriate, as did Governor Hobbs, to put a pause on executions uh, and to you know, take a step back, assess what the heck is going on inside the Department of Corrections, um, t- look at the execution protocols, what drugs are they using, where are they getting them from? There has been little to no transparency around that. What is the skill level of those who are involved in the execution process? And, you know, I think there's some other things, Mike, as well that we should look at. It's starting to look like Maricopa County is one of the only counties that even does death penalty cases anymore. And that's because it's really costly to carry out the, Mm -hmm. the,
1: you know, the death penalty. And it's so, more the legal process. It's not the physical. Yeah, the, yeah. it's the, the,
2: mostly just. The, I the understand. Appeals. It runs
1: into the millions.
2: Yeah, absolutely, Which, and these appeals, these appeals can go on for decades. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have people who are death eligible. There are actually something like uh, I think there's 22 total death eligible inmates mm-hmm. right now, and you know some of them date back you know, 40 years, uh, 30 years. So we're talking something, these these appeals go on and on and on and cost counties and the state uh, quite a bit of money. A
1: question to you about the moratorium. What's the end point? Is it a commission report? Yeah. Is it indefinite? What triggers the end of this?
2: I, it's, I wouldn't call it indefinite, but, but what triggers the end of it is obviously a report uh, to the governor and to me Um, that uh, takes a look at and analyzes all those things that I just talked Mm -hmm. about. And then we'll take a look at it uh, at that point. The governor and I will obviously have a conversation and make a decision about how to move forward. As you know, the governor just appointed a new director of the Department of Corrections. Mm -hmm. So that person needs to get in. That person has a big job ahead of them.
1: They're under some federal scrutiny, right? Quite
2: a bit. Yes. Uh, There's a health care related case so um, there's a lot that we need to do to fix the situation. That being said, I want to be clear as well to especially to the uh, the families of the victims in these cases that this was not an easy decision for me to make. These were horrific crimes that were committed by these these individuals on death row, and including the the family of the victim of aaron gunche 's actions um, the family of Ted Price. So, uh, these were horrible crimes. And I, it was not an easy decision for me to make.
1: OK, moving on. You dismissed a lawsuit that had been filed against President Biden's student loan forgiveness program.
2: I did. This is uh, the first of what you will probably see many uh, dismissals that we're going to make going forward of what I consider to be highly politicized political lawsuits that my predecessor, Mark Brnovich, uh engaged in. I didn't think it was right. Right on the on the law. I didn't think it. I, I do believe that President Biden had the authority to do what he did, and I didn't think it was the place of the state of Arizona to try to, to stop it.
1: But other states have filed, and I believe the Arizona uh, filing was separate from the other states, right? Yes, so it, it so actually ended that case. It
2: ended that case, but I believe there are there is at least one other case that that has moved forward that was filed by other Mm -hmm. Republican attorneys general in other states.
1: There was another case that it dealt with school facilities. It was a case filed by your predecessor, Bernovich, And talk to us about that.
2: So that, that, yeah, that was a case uh, where Governor Hobbs and I also agreed that it was appropriate to sort of ask the the court to to allow us to take a pause. Uh, This is a case in which a school district in Arizona was uh, suing the state uh, over the the failure of the state to provide proper funding to schools for their buildings, maintenance, repairs, those kinds of things. I, you know, I think many would say that the state is failing in, in that regard. Um and the case had gone on for years and years, Mike, and it had churned millions of dollars in, in legal fees. The case had been actually outsourced to an outside law firm, which had you know, charged the state millions of dollars uh, to engage in the, in the litigation And instead of spending millions of dollars in litigation, Governor Hobbs and I felt like maybe we should, you know, look for ways to settle this case um, and move forward. You know, let's not pay lawyers. Let's solve the problem, which is an underfunded school system.
1: Okay. Uh, the one of the other high profile areas that you've moved on is election integrity Uh, That office is being reformulated. Want to want to talk to us about that?
2: Sure. So we we definitely are going to be changing uh, the focus of what was called the election integrity unit, the EIU inside the attorney general's office uh, to one where uh, this office is going to be uh, fighting for and protecting voting rights, uh, fighting to protect. Uh, elected officials and volunteers, elections volunteers, who are increasingly coming under Uh, threat and intimidation.
1: A number of our officials in this last election had police protection.
2: Correct. Mm -hmm. And just think about that. Mm -hmm. Just think about the fact that we've gotten into a a situation in which elections officials who are the bedrock of our of carrying out our democracy Mm -hmm. are needing police protection Are receiving death threats. The Yavapai County Recorder and and her chief deputy resigned in the face of this just this week. Mike, the Cochise County, uh, the top Cochise County elections official, uh, stepped down because of the same kind of threat environment. So my election integrity unit will be focused on protecting them. And I want to be clear, if you engage in death threats or other attempts to interfere in our elections process in the state of Arizona, we're going to prosecute you. Um, this has to stop. It's time for it to stop. No more death threats against elections officials. And we need a, an end to the situation we saw this last election cycle in which we had people showing up at ballot boxes uh, and voting centers with, with AR-15s and body armor. Uh, and it had an t- obvious attempt to at intimidate voters. That has to stop.
1: And the prior focus of the office was voter fraud. I understand in the state there were 12 instances of voter fraud. in and, vo- and I talked about one of these in an earlier segment. A, a woman's mother was dying and she helped the mother fill out the ballot, which was perfectly legal. But instead of signing her name at the bottom, she Forged her mother's name, even though, is her mother's wishes. That was a technical violation, and that, and the other. I think, tell, tell me if I'm wrong, but I think the other kind of case that comes up a lot is somebody voted in another state, they moved to Arizona. They, that happens they, a lot, and, yeah. and not and they, a lot, but and it they happens. may think that's legal. Yeah, correct. But
2: it's not. Among the cases where we have yeah. actual voter fraud, that is a yeah. fairly common situation. What I will say is, voter fraud is not very common. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually asked my staff to go back and, you know, mm-hmm. give me a list of all the voter fraud cases that we've had since the year 2000, Mike. And every year it's, I don't know, a handful or every mm-hmm. cycle it's maybe a half a dozen Um of actual voter fraud. And as you point out, even even of those, it's a technical violation or it's someone who did something like they voted in two states. And then sometimes it's intentional, you Mm -hmm. know, but this notion that was propagated by Donald Trump and some of his more strident followers and way Mm -hmm. too many elected officials that we have rampant voter fraud in the state of Arizona or that something was fundamentally systematically wrong with our (laughs) election system is ridiculous and not acceptable. And um, that kind of misinformation and deliberate attempt to undermine elections has got to come to a stop. So, um, you know, we're going to change. We are going to go back to the old way of addressing uh, voter fraud, which is these cases largely should be referred to the attorney general's office via the secretary of state's office or a county recorder's office. That's how it was done Mm -hmm. prior to 2019. Um, And um, we're not going to be inviting a torrent of of complaints um, the way that uh, occurred after the cyber ninjas audit um, and Donald Trump really started to engage in this kind of behavior. Well,
1: the first I remember hearing about it was in 2016. Donald Trump knew that he had won the election, but he they were dumping in the California votes, which were heavily against him. And he went three million votes behind and he couldn't handle that. Right, And the only way he could claim that he got more votes was they must have had not just some, not just one or two that's been documented right. or a dozen, yeah, but millions.
2: Right. And, and Mike, I will tell you, you know, my office, my what is now my office, spent, you know, an inordinate amount of time investigating complaints about the election that were... Um, were absolutely false. And it is sickening to me to think about how much we could have been doing in terms of um, investigating real crime and real fraud if we didn't have to deal with this torrent of complaints that came in and the cyber ninjas audit and all of the stuff that uh, came through this election integrity unit that was set up by Brnovich. So, you know, it's, it's really sad, but it's not going to continue uh, under my administration.
1: OK, busy three and a half weeks. <laughs> we will talk when we return in just a moment with uh, Attorney General Chris Mays about what's on her agenda for the next three and a half weeks.
0: The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com.
1: We're back with Attorney General Chris Mays. We talked in the last segment about what you've done, that all this three and a half weeks has uh, been a busy office. But I uh, want to talk about your agenda. And I, without going you know too far, I want to make sure that we cover abortion. It's my understanding that the court threw out The most or all of the 1850 law, which was draconian, but uh, the current status of the law is what was passed last year. You said you won't prosecute. Uh, and first of all, is that a fair statement? Yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah, so essentially what happened was the appeals court, um, the Tucson panel appeals court, blocked the uh, 1864 law, which was the total ban on abortion, of course, also with no exceptions for rape or incest, uh, passed when Arizona wasn't even a state and women couldn't vote. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously an outrageous and ridiculous law. Um, I believe that's going to be appealed by the, the folks who wanted to see it implemented. Mm-hmm. Um, we will continue to, to fight it, um, and I will reverse the position of the state of Arizona in that case. Mm-hmm. As you know, Mark Bernovich was supporting the implementation mm-hmm. of that law. Um, and then there's the 15-week ban, which has also no exceptions for rape or incest. But, and,
1: it is, but abortion is okay in the first 15 weeks. Uh,
2: uh, snack. Yes, okay. that is right. But as you know, and as many doctors mm-hmm. will tell you, um, you know, there are, women sometimes need abortions after mm-hmm. 15 weeks uh, for various reasons, including the life of, of the mother and for mm-hmm. other reasons. And so that one, I think, is also unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. I think all of these bans are essentially unconstitutional under the privacy clause of the Arizona Constitution. Arizona is one of the states that does have an express right to privacy mm-hmm. and I think the Supreme Court is going to need to deal with that I, I th- want the Supreme Court to deal with it they have not been asked to deal with it the, even the appeals court mm-hmm. case uh, in, in the 1864 case didn't deal didn't address with, with my contention mm-hmm. that the privacy clause uh, allows for abortion in the state of Arizona
1: in the interim would you prosecute an abortion
2: no case? absolutely not we, we are not mm-hmm. going to prosecute abortion
1: against under, either our woman or doctor
2: not a woman not a doctor no one mm-hmm. and not under the 1864 ban not under the 15 week ban yeah. and i'm going to strongly discourage any county attorney Th- from doing that that's what my next question yeah. <laughs> was you yeah. don't
1: prosecute but wait a minute that's not a free pass because yeah county attorneys i guess have concurrent jurisdictions yeah they, that's a fair point the case could be prosecuted yes by either
2: Correct. It's a fair point, and what I'm one of the things that I'm going to be doing over the next six months is is going out to talk to county attorneys mm-hmm. across Arizona about a, a a number of different things of, of joint interest. I think uh,
1: Rachel Mitchell has said uh, left ambiguity. She said, "Well, yeah. we're going to look at this on a case by case basis." Correct. Which and what I would is do. still going to have a chilling effect.
2: Yeah. To it, a doctor in particular. Uh, exactly, and I wish that she had to obviously... I wish her position was the same as mine, but it's not, and what I, would, what I will say to, to Rachel and to all 15 county attorneys is that we, this is not a priority. You know we have real crime and to, to fight in the state of Arizona, mm-hmm. real criminals to prosecute, uh, women seeking to exercise their right to privacy and to health care um, in the case of abortion is not. Uh, should not be on the on the top line for any
1: prosecutor in the state of Arizona. Moving along, I, I, huge, another huge issue facing the state of Arizona is water. Yes, um, I went back and listened to a campaign commercial, and you railed about the Saudi Arabian alfalfa farm. Uh, my question to you: that was a prominent commercial ad. Yep. My question to you is: is there anything legally that one can do about that, given property rights? Yeah, absolutely. They bought there the is. land. The land came with water rights. Yes,
2: right? uh, there is something that I can do, and I and I fully intend to move forward with this, which is I am going to push for the cancellation of the leases that were made by the Arizona State Land Department to the Saudis, um, in which the the state of Arizona. Um, Uh, failed to charge the Saudis and is on an ongoing basis failing to charge the Saudis a dime for the water underneath the land that we are leasing to them. And so essentially the Saudis are using Arizona's water for free to grow alfalfa to send back to Saudi Arabia to feed their cows. I mean, just think about that, Mike.
1: I didn't realize uh, it was leased land.
2: It's That's leased. Well, of, they're it, using both private land okay. and leased land. But in the case of the Butler Valley, mm-hmm. uh, which is an area of Arizona, it's in La Paz County. It's all state trust land leases. It's all state trust land. So in that area, they are you and I've been out there. I've been out there, Mike, and it is it is absolutely mm-hmm astonishing, stunning, and sickening to watch as they pump millions of gallons of Arizona water, which, by the way, we are going to need in the, in the in probably short term as we uh, deal with an epic drought mm-hmm. and the likely hitting of Deadpool status at Lake Mead and curtailments mm-hmm. on the Colorado River. We're going to need that water. It's time to end those leases for the Saudis.
1: Moving again. We've got two minutes left. Status election lawsuits for governor, secretary of state, and attorney general. I assume you're generally aware, you know, all sorts of lawsuits filed. The only thing I've heard is most of them get dismissed, usually very quickly. Are then are there any of these cases still out there?
2: Um, you mean the election lawsuits? Yeah, yeah. So well, yeah, throw I've got ele- one throughout
1: I- the election, and yeah. yeah,
2: I've got one against me. Obviously, still, mm-hmm. my opponent is still suing over okay. the election up in Mojave County. Um, and I, you're right. I think there's still, I think Carrie Lake is still mm-hmm. engaging in, in one. Um, I may be wrong about that, but, uh, you know, look, I don't expect those to succeed. We mm-hmm. think that we will. I will continue to be the attorney general in the state of Arizona. Uh, there has to to be some finality Mm. in our elections. And this is one of the things that I think that they're trying to do here, which is to just continue to sow doubt. And in a lot of cases, I think they're just trying to raise money. So I think it's a giant uh, grift, quite frankly, uh, where folks uh, who lose uh, campaigns continue to raise money and continue to try to sow doubt in the minds of voters.
1: Thank you very much. Chris Mays. You promised you'd come back and you did, and I appreciate that.
2: I'll come back anytime.
1: Uh, you'll, you'll be invited anytime. Thanks, uh, uh, the folks in the in the newsroom are going to try to grab you on the way out. I know that too, if you want. Okay. <laughs>
2: <I'm>... <laughs> Good, thanks for the warning.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I got a call on the way in this morning. So. Okay. Anyway, uh, we are, uh, this is the end of the show, and uh, as I indicated earlier, you can reach me at the website, mikeoneal.org, and that is a vehicle to uh, uh, email and social media. And uh, you can subscribe to this podcast by going to KTAR.com.